0: this is Liz Tinkham, and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's not finished. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Third Act. Today, I talk with Catherine Lucy, the Solar Sister. So how does a bored housewife from Maine go on to empowering 6,000 African women to light up 2 million households? Catherine Lucy was a Wall Street banker who took a few years off to be with her kids. At one point, they told her that she didn't have enough to do. So she found an organization in Uganda that combined her knowledge of microfinance and energy with a passion for empowering women. She founded Solar Sister, a social benefit company that trains women to sell small, energy efficient and inexpensive solar powered lanterns throughout their rural villages. 10 years later and 2 million lights later, Catherine was recently recognized for the impact she's making by Fortune, becoming part of the Fortune 50 over 50 impact list. But with over 600 million households still needing light, Catherine has lots more to do. Join me for this really inspiring conversation with Catherine Lucy. Catherine, welcome to Third Act. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on being part of the Fortune 50 over 50 impact list. So tell us, what does that mean uh, to be on the list and how did you find out that you won?
1: Well, it's, it's incredibly um, you know, rewarding and, and really an honor to be on the list. And I feel pretty humbled by it because I think that it's the 50 over 50 creating impact. And when I think about creating impact, this is definitely not something I do all by myself. So, you know, that title 50 over 50 creating impact, I feel like I'm the over 50 part of it and my team is the creating (laughs) impact part of it. So it's a joint effort um, that we work together to do this. I have an incredible team that I work with at Solar Sister creating impact. I heard about the award. By someone sending me an email congratulating me. And I was like, what is this? And so then I went and, and looked it up and pulled it up and found out that I was on the list. Oh my goodness. Well, we'll come back to Solar Sister and winning
0: that award. But I want to start with your humble beginnings back in college, sort of your first act. So, your journalism major from Georgia. With an MBA. So what what happened to
1: journalism? Because you ended up on Wall Street. <laughs> I did. So uh, yeah, I've always loved writing and storytelling. I think that's the core of what I do. And um, went into uh, the journalism school at University of Georgia. They have a great journalism school down there in Athens. Really enjoyed it about communications. And um, But when I got out, I was drawn towards business. I knew that I wanted to get into business as much as I loved the storytelling and the journalism. I did some freelance work, but pretty much went back to grad school right away. So I started working in Atlanta at the time for an international organization that was doing uh, commodities trading, which was pretty fun, and going to school at night. So I got my business degree at night at Georgia State University and then worked for a bank at the International Trading Organization. I used some of my business school skills and, and started doing some foreign exchange trading for them. And that Shifted me over into banking and from banking into investment banking.
0: You and I graduated from college about the same time, and I don't think I knew anybody in general who went into investment banking, but let alone any women. So, how did you end up on Wall Street, and what was it like then?
1: Yeah, so I came in through the back door. At the time, there was the usual path onto you know Wall Street was through maybe some Ivy League school, and I ended up coming in out of Georgia through banking because i had gotten onto the trading floor for foreign exchange and ended up on in new york doing foreign exchange and then from foreign exchange moved over to other areas of the trading floor and into the credit department and then into project finance in the energy sector so i've been around a bit <laughs> i did a lot of different <laughs> things in my in my career which was really great because it gave me exposure to a lot of different aspects of business and finance and eventually energy and project finance and mergers and acquisitions. So I had a, a very broad base of financial and business background. So you're in that for about twenty years, which is amazing. And then you take a break. Why did you decide then to to take a break from investment banking and banking in general? Yeah. So Two things came together at the same time. One is I had been in it for 20 years and the industry had changed quite a bit. I loved it when it was I was able to do a lot of problem solving and I felt like I was really learning and we were serving clients and it was very much building relationships with clients. And then around that time I was in investment banking and it, it became more about just doing deals and less about relationships. And it just, that part wasn't, I loved doing deals, but it just became less soulful, I guess, the work that I was doing. And I also had children. So I had just given birth to my fifth child. And so I decided that it was time to stay home with the kids (laughs) for a little while. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I can understand that. So is this when you end up in Maine? Right, we were living in Maine at the time. Mm -hmm. And as you said to me, you were telling me that your kids at one point said, that you needed more to do, Yeah, Um, I had a similar reaction. I have my then 17 year old, this was a few years ago when I retired, he said to me, 17 years without your energy directed right at me, go find something else to do, right? Exactly. What did you, yeah, I mean, it, it is a lot, especially when you have a career job. How did you figure out what to do next?
1: So after I left banking and we were living on an island in Maine, so it was a very big jump. Um, I can't imagine. staying home with the kids for the first time, full time, sort of that same example. You know, I I directed a lot of my energy towards maybe their science projects or (laughs) (laughs) making gourmet dinners or things like this. And I was (laughs) like, I really need to get something, get my hands on something, get involved. And so I started getting involved with different organizations that really spoke to what I cared about. So it was... um, environmental organizations or women's empowerment i was really interested at the time that was when um, microfinance was really just beginning to be developed and i was really fascinated by this availability of uh, finance and very small loans to women really opening the door for women to improve their lives and i thought that was something that was just amazing to use kind of the you know the financial tools and technologies to really improve lives. And during this time, I came across a small family foundation that was doing solar installations in Uganda for schools and clinics, and even an entire village. They went and put solar panels on the roof of every home in the village. And by working with them, ended up actually traveling to Uganda and climbing up on those roofs and putting the solar panels up there and and got to see firsthand what it meant at the household level to have access to energy. And in my banking, I was in energy finance. And so I knew like at the big country infrastructure level that no country comes into the modern era without access to energy. And then with this, what I got to see was at the household level, exactly the same is true, that people need access to light and energy just to pull themselves up into you know being able to care for their families being able to run a small business being able to you know cook dinner or children do homework and all of these very very basic fundamental things that are at the the core of a well-being and a a family life and productivity and so i thought well i got to see firsthand you know what distributed solar energy could make available to people who live off the grid. So these are rural households in you know, sub-Saharan Africa where there is no access to electricity. And so they're currently lighting their homes with kerosene or candles. They are cooking over open three stone fires, using up you know, tremendous amounts of wood or charcoal just to put dinner on the table. And the amount of time burden that adds to a woman's day, the amount of economics that costs the family if they're buying charcoal or if they're buying kerosene for lighting it's an actually incredibly expensive way to light your your home and so with distributed energy available through solar it's not only cleaner better for the environment better for health better lighting better safer you know no more fires no more burns you know all of this comes together just being such an obviously superior choice of how to you know, provide energy for your home. But it's also cheaper. At that time, there was a big shift in the solar design. So the prices came down tremendously for the solar panels and the product started being designed so that instead of being like a, a big panel and an inverter and a battery and a bunch of wires and kind of complicated construction, all of a sudden we had very simple integrated solar products, where someone could buy a simple lamp and it was very intuitive. You put it outside in the light, it has a solar panel built into it. You bring it inside at night, you push one button and you have light for the entire evening. And so this was something that anybody could use, very little technical know-how needed. And it just solved so many problems. And then they never had to purchase kerosene again. And so for a family that had been spending maybe two to $4 a week just on kerosene, just for light, they could buy what cost at the time, a $20 lamp. And prices have continued to decrease. So that same lamp is about $5 now. So you, know, you could buy a lamp for $5 or you could spend $4 on kerosene. And with the lamp, you have light for the next five years or more, you know, these are incredibly durable and long lasting, or with the kerosene, you have light for a week. And so, you know, the economics are just compelling that like, this is a good thing to do. And that's when I started thinking about, well, if this is so smart, you know, if this is helps people, if this impact is amazing and it's available, affordable, why isn't this taking off? Why doesn't everybody switch out of kerosene and use solar?
0: Right. And this is, you're still looking at it in Uganda.
1: Right. But it was really applied across Sub-Saharan Africa and other places in the world. And really looked at what, the, what was the obstacle. And the two obstacles were last mile geographic access. And so that's just getting the products to the people. That's just a, a classic challenge of getting products out into remote areas. So solving for the geographic access. And then the second issue was that we were bringing a technology solution into a household problem and so these are rural households women are the ones who manage the household energy they're the ones who collect the firewood they collect the kerosene to pour in the lanterns you know they turn on the lamps at night they clean the lanterns the next day you know they're the ones managing the household's energy and they needed to be the ones who then were comfortable making this transition to using solar instead And so in order to reach them, you know, these are poor households who don't have a lot of money to, you know, throw away on experimentation or take the risk that something might not work or something like that. Very conservative consumers. But in order to convince that woman to make the leap and and buy a solar lamp, she had to know about it. She had to trust, trust it, trust the technology, trust who was selling it to her. And that's what ended up becoming the core sort of principles of Solar Sister, which is a, lo- a network of local women. And we train women who live in that community to um, build a business where they're selling these solar lamps to their community. They're using their networks of family, friends and neighbors. They're selling based on, like I, you know, she'll say, I use this lamp at home. My baby's no longer coughing. My daughter is studying at night, is now at the top of her class. And then another woman will say, hey, I want that for me. You know, she'll she'll connect with that. And so she'll say, well, where can I get one of those? And she'll be like, okay. And so that's how they make their sales is really selling on the benefits of these products, the benefits, the really tangible, concrete, immediate benefits of these products for their communities. And so it's, it's just really incredible, powerful network of, of saleswomen. You know, it, it's a little along the lines of Avon, but instead of selling makeup, they're selling solar products and clean energy products. You told me earlier about this mother's union that you met in Uganda. Talk about that. When I first came up with the idea of, okay, these solar products are affordable, available, appropriate, let's get them into the hands of people. How do we do that? Maybe we could get people to sell them. Maybe we could have this, like, women's network, Avon-style women's network selling these lanterns but what do i know you know i am I'm, I'm i'm from not uganda so i was like i don't know if Maine, this will, right. yeah, i don't know if this will actually work so i approached a woman that um, i knew who her name was sarah kasuli she's head of she was head of the mothers union in uganda and so the mothers union is the women's committees of the anglican church in uganda and so in every small town there is a mother's union committee. And these are the women who are sort of the power. They're the powerhouse of that community. They are the movers and the shakers. You know, if you want anything to get done, you know, ask one of them to get it done because they are deeply embedded in their communities, deeply committed to the welfare of their communities. And so we, um, I asked Sarah if she thought it would work that we would be able to sell these products because I knew she knew sort of at the community level how things worked and she responded that she didn't know either but the only way to figure it out was to try and so we took a couple boxes of these solar lanterns they look like um, you know just a small lamp and took them out to Lydia who was the very first solar sister and said here's two boxes of these lanterns do you think you could sell them And she ran a little like general store in her town. So she put them up on the shelf and and started to sell them. And by the time Sarah and I got back to Kampala that afternoon, Lydia called and said, okay, now what? because she had sold all of the lamps we had given her. And she was like, you know, what do we do next? And I thought, well, I don't know. I hadn't thought that far ahead. I was just like, (laughs) I was just kind of thinking like, I wonder if this would work. And so I was like, well, then send us the money that you got from selling the lamps and we'll send you a whole new shipment of lamps. And that really began the process of really building this as a business where, Lydia first, and then many, many, many other Solar Sister entrepreneurs who later joined, they purchase lamps, they add their markup to make it a retail price, and sell it to their networks. That markup that they add is their income to keep. So they're building a business, they're earning money, they're creating this distribution network for these products that are really making an impact in their community. And so it's this true social enterprise where there's this social good that comes from enterprise. How much time were you spending in Africa at that point? So, yeah, so I live here in the United States and this was happening over in Africa. So I did, I have over the years spent a lot of time traveling, but one of the first things I did, and this has turned out to be just really, I think uh, the backbone of our success was I tapped into local talent and um, I hired a, a young woman who um, became our first country director and really gave her the the power and authority to you know get the business up and running and she then hired a local staff and that local staff then goes out and recruits the women entrepreneurs. And so it's very much a local business. It operates completely. It's registered locally. It operates like a local business. It is run 100% by um, local staff, although we do provide support from the United States and the, you know, certainly in funding and in you know supporting with strategy and direction. It is the local team that is making this happen. And so circling back to that very first comment about, you know, creating impact, it's like I I take very much a back seat because the impact is being created by that team on the ground on a day to day basis.
0: I think you said you founded it in 2011. Is that correct? That's right. And how many lights have you sold slash houses lit up? What are some of your statistics?
1: Yeah, so we have reached over two million people with energy access woman by woman, you know, bird by bird, it happens, you know, just one after the other. And that's with these, um, by building out over 6,000 local women's businesses across Uganda, Tanzania, and Nigeria.
0: Wow. So you have 6,000 women sort of feed on the street selling Solar Sister Lanterns. And I assume growing, continuing to grow? Yes. So it, you know,
1: it's, it, grows because each woman, we're really helping her grow her individual business, and that is really the bulk of our work is supporting them, providing training and support, logistic support, supply chain support, giving them a business training program, which is business skills, technology skills, and agency-based training, which is really some of the softer skills of, you know, confidence and belief in yourself and removing your limitations and and some of those things. And so we give them this, we provide this training program. And then as they come and get their training, they form bonds with the other entrepreneurs. And then that network, that sort of peer-to-peer support, plus the training we give, plus the -the on-the-job learning by doing, which is what entrepreneurship is really all about. Those three things combined to each entrepreneur operates her business very independently, but with support from this entire network. And so as they become more skilled in their business, as they gain more experience, they grow and thrive. And and that business is shaped to meet their particular needs. And so we have entrepreneurs who are, maybe operate seasonally because they're also farmers. And so they operate in the off seasons to keep cash coming into the household. Or maybe they're teachers, and there's a couple times a year where they have an influx of students and that they know that they have this great audience for purchasing solar lights because the families want to support their children learning. So we have all kinds of entrepreneurs, and that is what really makes this a women's business is because they're able to shape it to to fit their needs.
0: And I also read that Solar Sister was included in a book about financial inclusion.
1: Mm -hmm. So tell us what that means and why is that important in the areas where you work? So part of part of the support that we provide them one of the one of the lessons is even you know business lessons is understanding how to manage your money understanding the difference between your capital and your profit you know how to reinvest your capital how to make good choices about what to do with your profits if you spend it if you invested in business if you invested in another business you know what what are you going to do with it and so this financial literacy of, you know, how, where do you put your savings? How do you, how do you save money? How do you invest money? How can you borrow money? How do you manage your credit? You know, if you have, have borrowed money, how do you manage credit? How do you extend credit? If you're going to extend credit in your business, you know, what are the risks of that? So this is all part of the training that we provide them and really bringing them into a, a more literate financial understanding so that they can, operate their business well optimally and really you know safely and um, so for women are often outside of formal financial structures they don't have sometimes what you need in order to take out a loan from a bank because maybe the bank requires collateral in the form of land and women may not have the title to the land because of cultural or legal Issues, And so there's all kinds of ways that women are outside of the formal financial opportunities. And so helping, bringing them inside, so helping them understand, you know, how can they build up those, what they need in order to start making, you know, accessing credit, in order to start making savings, in order to start um, setting up a, a wealth plan instead of just earning income.
0: Yeah, for them and for their families, right? To, to kind of sustain them.
1: What are the goals for Solar Sister? Where are you headed? We have um, reached a level where we that we have found success. We found some traction in what we're doing. We've we've proven that reaching out to women um, and really tapping into their capabilities and their networks and their ambitions to, you know, take care of their families, to earn a living, to take care of themselves, to build a business, to thrive. You know, this is something that is abundantly available with intention. You can shape business opportunity to meet women's needs. And that by doing that, you unlock, and you know, in our case, we're focused on energy access and building businesses that bring energy access to remote communities. And we've shown that by including women in that that goal, we are achieving really deep penetration into these remote communities. We are creating a that access and we are supporting the women in the process in this kind of mutually supportive circle. And so we want to see more of this. You know, we're working with um, over 6,000 women have been through Solar Sister. We hope over the next few years to reach 10,000 women. We aim to reach over 10 million people with energy access. That's still just a drop in the bucket when you think about that there's 600 million people who don't have access to energy. And so what our bigger dream is, is while we have this direct impact through the Solar Sister entrepreneurs and the communities that they serve, we also have this indirect impact, which has the potential of being much, much bigger. Because as people look at Solar Sister and and, have that aha moment of like, oh, Women and energy access go together. You know, you can't have one really without the other. That if you're going to reach, if you're going to leave no one behind in the energy access, which is one of the, you know, SDG goals, if, if we're truly going to leave no one behind, you know, we have to consider that women are half the population. So they're, they're at least half of who we're not going to leave behind, right? We've got to get them yes, included. You'd like to hope. <laughs> and, you'd like to hope so, right? And so as we are a demonstrable example of what can be done, and what success you can have by bringing women into a technology solution. Others copy us and that's the big leap is you know when everyone thinks that, oh, energy access and women's entrepreneurship go together. Oh, this unlocks true impact when you include women and when you design programs that are not just benefiting women, but including women as change makers. That's the biggest impact that we can have.
0: The women there, I mean, I know a lot of Africa is not on a grid. The countries haven't electrified in general. As they from what you've seen, as they start thinking about putting a grid up, if they are, I mean, how does the issue of climate change play over there? I mean, are the women aware of it? Do they talk about it? Is it a generational thing like more of it is here? What what's happening with that?
1: I'm really inspired by this by the women in the communities that we work in because they are very much aware of climate change because of real exposure to the changing climate. Tanzania is, and Nigeria, are, are largely agricultural communities. Tanzania in particular, you know, overwhelming proportion of the economy and of people's livelihoods is, is from agricultural livelihoods. They already know the drought season has changed, that the rainy seasons have changed, that, you know, the weather patterns are creating havoc over their livelihoods. So they're already dealing with the impacts of climate change in a way that I think we're often protected from, you know, as we work in our air conditioned homes or offices, or we go to, you know, climate change isn't just kind of an intellectual for them. It's 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 here and now and it's real. And so being able to address being able to do work that is actually productively addressing climate change is i think very satisfying for them because they they get it
0: i've had a couple guests on the show who have worked on solving issues in africa and i think the word humility is a common across you and others who who've done it Uh, As a white American woman, what are the obstacles
1: that you faced in trying to help in Africa? That word humility is the first thing that comes to mind is just recognizing both how different our lives are and understanding that I come with a lot of privilege. I come with a lot of mindset that has been shaped by that privilege And then on the other hand, recognize how much is the same. We are women with families. We are dealing with big issues that are very, very similar. We want to be able to provide for our family. We want to be able to have a future for our children. We want to be able to uh, lead lives of purpose and meaning. And that's all the same wherever you are. So, kind of, you know, finding that, finding the commonality is overwhelmingly the thing that impresses me when I travel is finding that, oh, there's more alike than there is different. But also keeping in mind that I do come with all this privilege and I do come with, you know, outsider's point of view and that I really need to put aside my thoughts and my, you know, and really listen to what's, what's happening locally. Let local people take the lead. Let, let the local women tell me what to do rather than the other way around. For our listeners who might be
0: thinking about doing something similar, like some venture in Africa, for whatever reasons, for a passion project they have, or if they believe they can bring a solution, what advice do you have for them and how to get started?
1: Start with listening, start with um, humility, start with, I always think of you solve the problem that's in front of you. And even though geographically, that doesn't look like what I've done. It was when I started looking at solar as a distributed energy solution, it was the problem that was right in front of me because we were doing these installations on homes and schools and clinics and realized what an impact it was making and why it wasn't happening. The, the problem that kind of placed itself in front of me and then that called from me, all of my background and experience, whether in finance, in project finance, in pulling together teams, in problem solving, all of that kind of came to play to solve that solution. And then realizing that I couldn't do it alone, but that it was going to take this team and especially this team of, of local you know people who who were living this problem. Mm-hmm. and the mother's union. Mm-hmm. exactly.
0: So I want to go back to the award you just got, the Fortune 50 over 50 Impact Award. What has that meant to Solar Sister and to you personally?
1: Well, it's a very nice validation or recognition of, of the work of Solar Sister and the team and the impact that we have created. I think it's especially rewarding to know that the work that we're doing affects climate change action, and it is work for and with women and that all of that is getting recognized as important work. And so I think that's what's really rewarding about it.
0: Oh, it's that's, it's that's wonderful. So I almost titled this podcast I'm not done yet. What aren't you done with yet?
1: I am not done solving problems because that's the that's what that's what I do. That's what um keeps me interested and engaged and turning that towards trying to increase the impact that we're having through Solar Sister and working with more people to do more energy access with more women.
0: Great story. So, Catherine, amazing story. Thank you so much for joining the show. I think you had told me when we were prepping that you were a bored housewife. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> think you fit that <laughs> criteria anymore. The provider of light and economic viability to so many in Africa. We will publish information about Solar Sister in the show notes. Where can we find you online? So Solar Sister
1: is website is www.solarsister.org, all one word. And we're on Twitter at solar underscore sister. Okay, we'll put that in there. What about you? Are you, you're on LinkedIn, correct? I'm on LinkedIn. Mm
0: -hmm. Great. People want to reach out. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.